The healthcare industry is full of transactions dealing with medical providers and facilities, but healthcare is a different animal when it comes to transactions. So listen to this episode and I will tell you why. Captain Integrity Production and the law firm of Nelson Mullins presents Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. Stark Integrity explores the world of the Stark Law and healthcare compliance with our nationally recognized Stark Law, Fraud, and Compliance Attorney, Bob Wade. Bob has a national healthcare legal and compliance practice that focuses on the minions of the Anti-Kickback Statute, False Claims Act, and the Stark Law, including fair market value and commercial reasonableness. Although Bob is a law partner in the national law firm of Nelson Mullins, the views expressed in Stark Integrity are Bob's personal views and not the views of the firm, and they are not intended to be legal advice. Now, without further ado, I give you Captain Integrity, Bob Wade. Welcome to Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. My name is Bob Wade, and I am your host. Well, today I'm going to be talking about transactions in the healthcare industry. And some physicians and also attorneys, they focus on transactions almost exclusively. Uh, as an attorney, I do both transactions as well as the regulatory analysis. And that's the layering effect that is involved in healthcare. So in normal transactions outside of the healthcare arena, there are some general things that you do uh, in a transaction. You conduct due diligence. You have extensive negotiations. You have to determine the financial uh, terms and the compensation arrangement. Uh, you can talk about indemnification as well as termination clauses. All of those apply in the healthcare industry, but we have a layering effect in the healthcare industry. So not only is it a normal transaction, like it is an outside of healthcare, but you have to deal with licensure issues. So it's licensure issues dealing with the facility, uh, both with the federal government as well as the state. Uh, you also have to look at licensure with respect to the medical staff and the other medical providers, uh, like nurse practitioners and physician assistants, laboratory techs, etc. cetera. Uh, you also have a payment agreements with payers, like third-party payers, Blue Cross and Blue Shield. Uh, and also with Medicare and Medicaid, you have certification issues with respect to Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, so those are sort of the general regulatory issues that apply to healthcare transactions, but also the big three statutes that I've been talking extensively about in Stark Integrity uh, also apply. You have the Stark Law. If you're going to have a transaction, there's an ownership or investment interest, and there are specific requirements with respect to that. You have the anti-kickback statute, which also has some transactional issues. Probably one of the biggest transactional issues is the Ambulatory Surgery Center Safe Harbor. Now remember, under the anti-kickback statute, you do not have to meet the safe harbors, but you want to come as close to those safe harbors as possible. 
And so even with the ambulatory surgery centers, there are four different types of safe harbors depending upon who the investors are. If it's a multi-physician practice or it's a, a physician hospital owned or if it's a specialty ambulatory surgery center, all of those have very detailed safe harbor requirements if you want to meet the safe harbor. Also in your due diligence, when you're trying to acquire a medical practice or a medical facility that the False Claims Act is also involved in the due diligence. You want to take a look at their billing history, any type of you know, claims that the government has made against the entity that they have billed inappropriately. Those are all could be potential false claims. And what you don't want to do is you don't want to step into the, what I'm going to put in air quotes, the false claim puddle. Uh, so in a transaction, you want to understand what you're acquiring and try to limit any liability that you have under those three big statutes, uh, the Stark Law, the Anti-Kickback Statute, as well as the False Claims Act. So now I'm going to discuss you know, some of just the various other healthcare facilities that there are a lot of transactions over. I've already alluded to ambulatory surgery centers, and uh, that probably should have a couple of episodes on ambulatory surgery centers. But you know, what comes as a surprise to a lot of people is that although physicians typically cannot own medical facilities, except for you know, if they're a designated health service entity, uh, like a hospital, I'll talk about hospitals, uh, but an ambulatory surgery center, if you're billing ambulatory surgery claims and only ASC claims, then physicians can own an ambulatory surgery center because the Stark Law does not apply. You still have all the licensure issues, the payment uh, agreements and Medicare, Medicaid certification, all that still is in play. And, and also the anti-kickback statutes in play. But the Stark Law uh, does not apply because ambulatory surgery center procedures uh, those are not designated health services. Now, we have to be careful there uh, with a transaction involving an ambulatory surgery center, and that is if they are billing claims outside of the ambulatory surgery center procedures, then the Stark Law would apply. So let's say that somebody gets a little bit cute in an ambulatory surgery center, and they say, we're going to start to offer radiology procedures that are not connected with an ambulatory surgery center claim. Now the Stark Law would apply, and that's the reason why due diligence becomes very important to understand how the ambulatory surgery center operated and how they build their claims. Another medical provider that there's a lot of transactions uh, that are involved are laboratories. And laboratories have a whole lot of issues, and especially if you're dealing with CLIA, and at some point, I'm going to have somebody on Stark Integrity that will talk about CLIA and how it applies not only to physician practices and hospitals, but also to laboratories. Next is hospitals. And this is sort of unique uh, because in, under the Stark Law, that effective on November the 18th of 2003, you could not meet the specialty hospital definition going forward. So it was kind of an end to the definition of a specialty hospital. The bigger issue are physician-owned hospitals. And there are physician-owned hospitals out there. Uh, but there was a grandfather 
of physician-owned hospitals. So December 31, 2010, there could be no more new physician-owned hospitals. Uh, so if a physician-owned hospital existed prior to December 31, 2010, they're grandfathered and they can continue to have the ownership interest in that physician-owned hospitals. There are some limitations on expansion, expansion meaning operating suites or beds that are in the hospitals, but also that the number of physicians who are owners of that ambulatory surgery center by percentage cannot increase. So let's assume that we had a physician-owned hospital prior to December 31, 2010, um, and it was owned jointly by a bunch of physicians and, and another hospital. Then if the physicians collectively owned 50% of that hospital, that percentage owned by physicians could not increase. The hospital could increase their percentage, but the physicians could not increase their percentage. The next group uh, these are kind of these large categories. So there's a, a bunch of other medical providers that transactions are involved with. But the next group that I'm going to talk about is physical therapy. There's a lot of physical therapy centers around the country. And a lot of times those centers would like to have affiliations with physicians as owners. And obviously they're doing that because if a physician is an owner, it's more likely that they're going to refer. Now, they cannot be financially induced to refer, but they're more, more likely to refer. And so the Stark Law does apply because physical therapy is a designated health service, as well as the Stark Law would apply. Uh, so there's a great expansion of ownership interest, and we have a lot of privately owned uh, physical therapy by major companies that are basically our franchise around the country. So you have to be careful with those. Pharmacy has a lot of regulatory issues uh, with respect to the, the DEA, as, as well as you know, issues dealing with Stark anti-kickback statute. The next uh, group is nursing homes. Uh, so you, or assisted living facilities. And so doctors have become involved in the ownership of nursing homes and nursing homes because they're paid a, what's called a composite rate, a rate per day. And because they're paid a composite rate, then they, the nursing home is not a designated health service. Uh, so if only they are receiving a composite rate for nursing home services, then you're technically outside of the Stark Law. But again, we have to caution you about, you know, if they get into these ancillary services, laboratory, physical therapy, uh, radiology services, then by billing those issues separately, if they're not provided in connection with the service of the composite rate, then the Stark Law will raise its ugly head and the Stark Law would apply. The next area is real estate. So physicians like to own real estate. And as long as it's a real estate holding company, let's say that uh, the physicians own the facility, maybe the equipment and the land uh, that's connected with a, a hospital or a laboratory, they can own that real estate because the real estate entity is not providing designated health services. Now, you have to contrast that if you have a group practice that wants to own the real estate. Then if it's connected with the group practice, then the Stark Law would apply. 
so, you know, real estate, and I've got a couple of episodes on real estate, uh, both just general real estate as well as timeshare arrangements that would probably be a good thing to listen to. Uh, but real estate is a, an area that a lot of transactions are uh, that occur with. So next I'm going to talk about the structure of the acquisition. And there's basically two structures. One is a, a stock purchase. The other one is an asset purchase. And I'll just put my preference on the table here as every time I talk with a client about a potential uh, acquisition, uh, especially if there's a designated health service, uh, that I tell them I, I favor an asset purchase. Now, the problem with an asset purchase is you have to go through that entire certification process and have the renewed agreements with the third-party payers. Uh, you have the licensure issues that, that, that come up. Uh, and so that takes some time. So it's easier if they would actually purchase the stock because then they assume all of the agreements, the payer agreements, the Medicare uh, participation agreements that exist. So immediately after closing, uh, they just can continue to operate and bill. So here's the kicker. If there were any you know, bad bills that were submitted and you're assuming the entity, you're assuming those false claims. So if, if a stock purchase is going to occur, then it's very important to make sure that you, do, you conduct a very thorough due diligence to try to understand if there are any issues you know, dealing with bad billing that the False Claims Act could apply, as well as you know, some of these exceptions that I've talked about, you know, dealing with, uh, with laboratories, uh, real estate, and uh, nursing homes, that if they you know, first start off and they're receiving a composite rate, but start to perform separate designated health services, then that could be problematic uh, because you're assuming that liability. So you need to probably have a team that is actually doing the transactions, people that are, are really the corporate lawyers that are really focusing on the structure of the agreement, the indemnification issues. You need to have somebody like me who's looking over the regulatory issues. You may also have to have you know, people who understand the licensure issues and the certification issues. So you know, sometimes uh, you know, clients say, well, let's keep the cost down. Bob, I just want you to do it. Well, I don't think that's in the best interest of you know, Bob, frankly, uh, or the client, uh, because the transactions in the medical industry are so complex that you need to have a team that understands the various components. And nobody can be an expert in everything in healthcare, just because it is so, so heavily regulated. And so you need to have a team when you're actually working on these on these transactions. The other thing I would think about, and this is more of a business issue than it is a legal issue, and that is if you acquire a medical practice, or again, I, I say medical practice, but I'm really not talking physician practices, even though that can be a, a transaction. But let's say you're acquiring a laboratory. You have to seriously consider whether or not there will be a shift in referrals because now there is a new owner versus the previous owner. So you may have a great volume with the previous owner, but now you have a new owner. And especially if you've got in a community, you know, big competitors and a big competitor acquires, again, let's say it's a laboratory, 
then if that laboratory was receiving referrals from all of the other hospitals in town, then if one hospital acquires it, those referrals will probably stop. So those are more of the business things that you have to think about in a, in a transaction. So now I've come to the point for the three Captain Integrity Punch Points. Captain Integrity Punch Point number one, transactions in the healthcare industry are very complex. I would say probably more complex, or maybe attorneys who are listening to this, you know, banking has regulations and, uh, you know, there's you know, the military has regulations and things like that. Um, but I think because of all the various, you know, things that you have to deal with. You have to deal with the state for Medicaid. You've got to deal with the uh, with the federal government for Medicare and then all these third-party payers. So that's what makes it a, you know pretty complicated. Captain Integrity punch point number two is that in most of these transactions, you're going to be dealing with the three-headed dragon, uh, the Stark Law, the Anti-Kickback Statute, and the False Claims Act. So you need to have somebody who's looking over the, these issues from a regulatory perspective. And lastly, Captain Integrity punch point number three is really consider whether or not you want to do a stock acquisition over an asset acquisition. Because again, it's a lot safer if you do an asset acquisition because you're not assuming the previous you know, failures or uh, false claims uh, of the previous owner. So again, uh, I've done stock deals before, so I can't say that I've never helped a client with a stock deal, but the risks involved with a stock deal are far greater than if it's an asset transaction. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode, the Stark Law, or healthcare compliance, you can contact me at bobwadecaptainintegrity at gmail.com or my law firm email address at bob.wade at nelsonmullins.com. You can review this and any other episode of Stark Integrity at the Captain Integrity website at captainintegrity.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn under Bob Wade. I hope the three Captain Integrity punch points will help you with the Stark Law and compliance. In closing, remember that integrity depends on you and me.